Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. Let's hear about this episode's topic. Hi, we recently took our four-year-old in for his annual checkup with the pediatrician and they commented on a heart murmur. This had never been brought up before at any previous appointments, but they said it sounded like a normal childhood murmur and not to worry about it. It's hard not to worry about it when it sounds so serious. So we were wondering if you could discuss heart murmurs in kids. So this is really a great question because, of course, the parent is worried. I mean, as a parent, your mind is going to go, what do you mean there's something wrong with my child's heart? I mean, I don't think it's an understatement to say that we all consider the heart to be a very important organ. Absolutely. But just like this family's pediatrician counseled them, the majority of childhood murmurs are really nothing to worry about. But of course, you want to rule out something that is more scary, which is what all parents think about. So we're really excited for this episode to have a guest to help us discuss this topic today, Dr. Yoni Diane, and he's a pediatric cardiologist at UC Davis Children's Hospital. So thank you so much for joining us on Kids Considered for this episode. Sure, yeah. Thanks for having me. So Dr. Diane, I'm very curious if you had to guess like just your average clinic day in cardiology clinic, what percentage of your clinic visits do you think are for murmurs specifically? Probably about a third to a half of new new referrals coming to my clinic are for murmurs. And then of those, what percentage are just end up being regular innocent childhood murmurs? Many of them end up being innocent murmurs, but probably about two-thirds uh, of them. So some studies have looked at this, and for all referrals to a pediatric cardiologist for murmur specifically, somewhere around 60% of these end up being innocent murmurs, so similar to your experience. So we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. So first, could you explain to us, like, what actually is a murmur? So a murmur is uh, the name we give to the sound you hear when you listen to somebody's heart and hear the, the blood flowing through the heart. Um, it's blood moving through different structures within the heart itself. And how common are these in, in infants and children? So murmurs are, are, are pretty common. Up to 50% of kids will have a, a murmur at some point in their lives. And uh, again, the vast majority of these murmurs are what we call innocent murmurs. Congenital heart disease or structural heart defects uh, happen in less than 1% of live births. And uh, most of those will have murmurs as well. But, but again, the innocent or, or benign murmurs are much more common. Right. So I think it's really important to differentiate from the very beginning of this episode that a heart murmur is not synonymous. It's not the same as heart disease or a heart defect. Is that right? Yeah, very true. And it's a very common misconception. Uh, the murmur, again, just is the name we give to the sound of blood flowing through the heart. So the, the, the murmur itself can sound different ways. It can be in different locations on the chest and, and different murmurs can represent different things. Sometimes just blood flowing through normal structures of the heart, uh, which would be a benign or an innocent, innocent murmur. And other murmurs can um, be caused by blood moving through abnormal structures of the heart or pathologic murmurs. So before we get into some of the more common pediatric heart murmurs, let's do a quick cardiac um, anatomy lesson. The, so, the, what I like to call the mini medical school for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but there'll be no test afterwards, <laughs> No right? test, we promise. Uh, okay, so can you describe um, what's a normal heart comprised of? How does it work? 
This is always easier to do with uh, with a pen and paper and drawing it out, but to, <laughs> uh-huh. to talk it out, you know, the heart is made up of four cardiac chambers and four valves. There are uh, two upper chambers in the heart called atria that collect blood from the body and the lungs, and the two lower chambers called ventricles pump the blood out to the body and to the lungs. Uh, the valves within the heart sort of open and close sequentially to allow blood to move forward and pre- to try to prevent it from moving backward. So the sort of sequence of events in the heart is that blood from your body comes into the right side of the heart, fills up the right upper chamber, the right atrium, goes down through a valve called the tricuspid valve into the right ventricle, and then is pumped out into the pulmonary arteries to the um, lungs to collect oxygen. Then the blood with oxygen returns to the left side of the heart, again to the left upper chamber, the left atrium, travels through the uh, valve on the left side of the heart called the mitral valve into the left ventricle, which pumps that blood out through the aortic valve out to the body to deliver that oxygen. And the body uses all the oxygen, and the, the blood without oxygen comes back to the right side of the heart, and that uh, cycle keeps happening over and over again. That was a great description, and when I was listening to that, I had like two conflicting emotions. One was sort of this warm and tingly feeling about how, you know, what a miracle life is, right? And how we've evolved. And the other is how friggin' complicated it is, too. <laughs> it is complicated, but it's so important. And, you know, as healthcare providers and as pediatricians, when you go in, you're any, any physician you see, you yourself will see a physician, and they're going to be listening to the heart. It's what we call cardiac auscultation. And they're listening for sounds um, that are unique to different phases of that cycle, that blood flowing through the heart that you described, the filling and the pumping. So can you walk us through kind of the, the different heart sounds and what we're listening to? We usually describe um, the cardiac cycle starting with uh, what we call ventricular systole or the pumping of blood out of the heart by the ventricles, the pumping chambers. So as the pumping chambers start to um, sort of contract down and, and pump blood out, the pressure rises in the, those ventricles, and that pressure actually closes the valves in the middle of the heart to prevent blood from moving backward back to the atria. And the sound of those valves closing is called the first heart sound, or S1. Bum, 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 bum. Yes. Bum. So the, it's the first <laughs> bum. <laughs> exactly. Then the ventricles keep on building pressure, and they open up the aortic valve and the pulmonary valve so that blood can go out to the body and to the lungs. And as the valves open, they generally don't make a sound unless there's something wrong. And then as blood moves out of the heart, the pressures sort of start to go down and normalize, and the aortic and pulmonary valves close, and that closing the valves creates the second bum, the second heart sound, or S2, so the bum bum. You know, if there are different problems in the heart, there can be different sounds related to the S1 or S2 or, or murmurs sort of between those sounds. So like you discussed, a murmur can be detected at any point during this cycle when there is turbulent blood flow. I describe to patients sometimes as if you um, imagine blood flowing through the heart as sort of like water coming out of the end of a hose. And if you put your thumb at the end of the hose, water is going faster through it. And so if there's any problem with the heart, if a a valve is obstructed or there's a a small hole that, that creates sort of a pressure difference there, the blood is moving faster or moving with turbulence around sort of those areas, and that, that causes the abnormal sounds and, and the murmurs that we can hear. Yeah, I love that example of, of the, the hose because it's one that most people have experienced. And so we talked a little bit about like the phases of the cardiac cycle and when you may hear things. And so you may hear your pediatrician refer to something as a systolic murmur or a diastolic murmur or a continuous murmur. They hear it. But then they also talk about things like 
pitch and intensity and quality. So it might be a musical murmur, a harsh murmur. Or, um, talk about why some of these other clues are really important. And, you know, as physicians in any field of medicine, we're, we're like detectives trying to solve, solve a mystery, try to figure out what's going on with, with any given patient. So listening to a murmur gives you so many clues to, to try to solve this mystery of, of what the murmur is attributable to. So what, what's causing it? So when we listen to the chest, yeah, you know, you listen all along the chest, um, you know, along the sternal border, you know, which is along sort of the midline of the chest, um, up and down, left and right. You listen in the armpits, you listen in the back, all sorts of places. Um, and then, like you said, you listen to the volume of the murmur, and we have this whole scale of volumes uh, from one to six. Uh, the pitch or the frequency is very important. And then, like you said, the quality, you know, is it a musical murmur? Is it a harsh murmur? Does it go up and down, crescendo, decrescendo? And when during the cardiac cycle, systole, diastole? Um, and then uh, another important aspect to murmurs is whether they change. So some, some murmurs change when you lay down or stand up or when you breathe in or breathe out. So those are all um, aspects of murmurs that really help determine what's, what's causing the murmur. Awesome. And so some of those clues, I mean, parents may never hear these words because they may not mean much to you. So, but that may be what your pediatrician is thinking when they're thinking, should I just monitor this over time? Is this nothing? Do I need to refer? Um, and so those are all really important diagnostic clues. But now let's talk about some of the most common pediatric murmurs, starting with the innocent murmurs. So the things that your pediatrician will hopefully listen to you and say, oh, nothing to worry about. So, yeah, so up to 50 percent of kids have a murmur at some point during childhood, and it's usually an innocent or, or benign murmur. Um, and there's a whole bunch of them. Part of the detective work that we do has to do, oh, what, what age is this patient as they're presenting with a murmur? And there's more common innocent murmurs in different age groups. In uh, a good number of babies, we hear a murmur called peripheral pulmonic stenosis, or PPS, um, which is basically the sound you hear when blood is flowing through the pulmonary arteries, the, the small arteries that go to the lungs. And in babies, those arteries are small because babies are small. Uh, so you can actually hear the blood physically flowing through them. It's a very typical murmur that's heard on both upper chests, out to the armpits and to the back. It's usually high frequency, uh, not very harsh. Uh, and it's a very, very typical murmur of this PPS. And when I listen to that, I know, okay, nothing's wrong. We don't even have to do an ultrasound. This is very, very typical of a PPS type of murmur. Uh, and it always goes away. It never leads to something that it can be a problem. And what age is it usually resolved by that PPS murmur? Usually about six to nine months. Uh, the next most common murmur, probably the most common murmur, is called a stills murmur. It usually, usually arises about two to three years of age and, and can persist into, um, into later childhood and teenage years. And probably about 10 to 15 percent of adults still have uh, a stills murmur. So it's a very common murmur. And it sort of has this very typical description to it that it's sort of located uh, on the left lower chest, sort of between the sternum and the apex of the heart has um, variable volume. Stills murmur can be actually quite loud, and that, that scares a lot of primary physicians, but, uh, but it is still a stills murmur. Happens during systole only, so between that sort of bum-bum, between the first and second heart sounds, usually described as sort of a vibratory or, or musical murmur, uh, and it changes with position and respiration. So when somebody lays down and breathes out completely, you can hear it the loudest, and when they stand up and... Uh, and breathe in, then you, um, sometimes it even goes away. So it sort of changes with, with all these things. And so often a pediatrician will hear it one visit, not hear it another visit, and sort of comes and goes. And so we know that murmurs that come and go are, are generally benign. If something is wrong in the heart, 
the murmur won't really go away. Yeah, that's a great point to to reassure families and think. The Stills murmur, that's the one that is a non-cardiologist. That, that's the only one that I'm really comfortable <laughs> calling an innocent murmur. And then there's the Venus hum, which is, uh, I've diagnosed once, but I, I think I ended up referring it because I was like confused about why it lasted through systole and diastole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a Venus hum, yeah, it's not super common, but but you hear them every so often. Uh, and it's sort of uh, usually heard on the right upper uh, side of the chest. And you, yeah, you hear it sort of continuously through systole and diastole. And that's one of the, you know, sort of key words, you know, sort of innocent murmurs never happen in diastole is sort of something that that's taught, but except for this one. Um, so this one's sort of continuous through systole and diastole because it's the sound of the blood flowing through the veins back to the heart. So it's just sort of if you imagine almost like a waterfall going from your upper veins down into your heart, sort of continuously flowing in. Uh, and again, it's a normal murmur. Um, it has to do with any patient's sort of normal variant of anatomy. If the vein is sort of pointed in a certain direction, the blood will sort of go around that curve and you, and you hear it there. Um, what's interesting about the venous hum, that sort of the telltale sign of, of how you can know that it's a venous hum is you turn the patient's head toward that side and the, the murmur actually goes away which is always interesting to do. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. a great. I love those little tricks to to (laughs) test it out. And then tell us about the just like regular pulmonary blood flow murmur and when we see this and how we can tell that this is what it is. Yeah, so pulmonary flow murmurs can be a little bit more tricky because it happens over the pulmonary valve. And that's an area where you think, okay, well, if I hear a, a murmur over a valve, maybe that valve is abnormal. But it's usually quiet and, and low frequency or low pitched. Um, not quite as harsh as a as an actual abnormal pulmonary valve abnormality type of murmur. And then usually it changes with position. So, you know, when they lay down, when they stand up, when they breathe in and out, it, it, it can change with those positions and those uh, sort of breathing maneuvers. Um, often you can hear it when, um, and a stills murmur as well, you can hear them when the heart is beating harder or faster. So a lot of new referrals for murmurs I get are the, the patient went to their pediatrician when they were sick. You know, they had a fever, they had a cold or something. And so your heart's beating harder and faster when you're sick. And so it sort of brings these murmurs out. Um, or, you know, if you've exercised and gone running or if a patient's anemic and their heart's beating harder sort of to compensate for the anemia, sometimes you can hear that uh, the, the stills murmur, the pulmonary flow murmur sort of come out a little louder. You know, we've been talking about the innocent murmurs, so I thought maybe we should change and talk about the guilty murmurs, but we don't talk we don't call them guilty, right? We talk we call them pathologic murmurs. Yeah, that's right. So so obviously the concern when when anybody hears a murmur is is this going to be a pathologic murmur? Um and pathologic murmurs are murmurs that are attributed to abnormal blood flow in the heart. And so congenital heart disease or structural heart defects uh, occur in about 0.8% of live births, live births. So just under 1% of, of, of births in the country um, or worldwide even. Um, and it's actually the most common congenital birth defect is, is heart defects. Um, many of those are sort of mild congenital heart defects, which you know, to a parent, any congenital heart de- defect is scary. But as cardiologists, we see a whole slew of um, very you know, quote unquote, simple heart defects, and then very, very complex heart defects as well. So the very common and, and simple heart defects we see are sort of just small holes in the heart, uh, holes between the upper chambers, holes between the lower chambers. And those are called septal defects. The, the walls between the hearts are called the septum. So between the upper chambers or atria, um, there's uh, the atrial septum. So you can have a hole there called an atrial septal defect. Um, that usually doesn't make a very loud noise, but um, but if you have enough flow through it, you can actually hear sort of a quote-unquote pulmonary flow murmur of more flow going through the right side of the heart. 
Uh, and then uh, a hole between the lower chambers, uh, which is one of the most common pathologic murmurs we hear, is called a ventricular septal defect because it's a defect between the wall of the ventricles. And then um, uh, all babies actually are born with an extra blood vessel called a ductus arteriosus, and if that stays open longer, that's called a patent ductus arteriosus, and that can cause uh, a pathologic murmur as well. So these are the most common ones, but there's many others and more rare heart conditions that can lead to heart murmurs also, right? Correct, yeah, and there's you know all sorts of valve problems you can have, uh, aortic valve stenosis, pulmonary valve stenosis, valve leakage that can cause murmurs, and then all sorts of complex things like um, both of the aortic and pulmonary valve coming off of one ventricle or having a single ventricle and blood flowing all sorts of abnormal directions. So yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of interesting uh, defects that we can see that, that present with all sorts of different types of murmurs. Can you talk a little bit about um, mitral valve prolapse? Because that's one that's, I think, sometimes even makes it into like the news that parents sometimes come in asking about mitral valve prolapse. Yeah, that's a great question. So mitral valve prolapse is really, really common. Um, and it basically is when you look at the mitral valve on an ultrasound, usually when the valve leaflets close and come together, they sort of come together and it almost forms sort of a straight line there. And mitral valve prolapse is when the valve sort of pushes up from the ventricle up into the atria and it sort of comes up a little farther than you'd expect. And when it does that, you can sort of hear a little clicking sound as it, as it prolapses through. And mitral valve prolapse, if it prolapses too much or if the valve leaflets don't come together as efficiently, you can get mitral valve leakage or mitral valve regurgitation. It, it's really common, and the mitral valve regurgitation is not as common, and it doesn't usually progress all that much. And so um, I think it used to be maybe, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago was a lot more, um, you know, cardiologists, you, you know, were worried a lot more about mitral valve prolapse than we do now. We, now we know it's it's not a very progressive disease. So we follow these patients and and uh, and look at it, but um, but it's not as uh, big a problem as we used to think it would be. Yeah, that's a great point. So I think we've talked a lot about listening to the heart and the sounds that the murmurs make, but one of the really key parts of this is the history. So talking to the family about if there's any signs or symptoms that would make us more concerned that there could actually be heart disease. So I'm curious, like, when you have a family in your office and you're working up a murmur, what are some of the questions that you ask them? And is it different for different ages that we can take back to our practice and families should know that um, these are things that might be asked of them? Yeah, definitely. Again, um, as detectives, you know, the history is, is crucially important to try to figure out what the diagnosis is. Like you said, you know, the history is going to be different for different age groups as well. You know, I'm not going to ask a baby whether they're uh, feeling palpitations and things like that. But, um, you know, sort of standard questions that we ask in cardiology clinic, you know, for, again, going chronologically for babies is, you know, some of their birth history, if they were born on time, if they had any complications during the, the delivery, pregnancy, or postnatal period, if they've had any labored breathing or breathing difficulty, uh, if they have difficulty feeding because they're breathing so hard, if they have excessive sweating they're not growing well, if there's any family history of any, you know, congenital heart disease or, or early heart disease in the family, um, if they have any other organ system issues, if they, you know, have kidney issues or liver issues, there can be associations between heart disease and other organ system disease. So we ask all those questions. And then, you know, older kids and, and young adults, you know, asking more of the symptom type questions, you know, do you have any difficulty breathing? Do you have shortness of breath? What's your exercise tolerance? Do you have any chest pain, dizziness, fainting episodes, palpitations, or feeling like your heart's beating rapidly or, or, or very, um, very hard and fast? 
And and then again, you know, about their medical history and their birth history and their family history all, all sort of comes together to to give us information on what the etiology of the of the murmur or of the presenting signs and symptoms might be. So a kid has a heart murmur. I mean, should every child with a murmur be referred to a cardiologist? Should every kid with a murmur get an EKG, get a chest X-ray, get a heart ultrasound or an echo? Do you have time for every child with a murmur to be seen in your office? <laughs> we, we, we will see any referral that comes to our office. <laughs> um, but, but no, not necessarily. It sort of, you know, has to do with, with the pediatrician's comfort level, you know, listening with the auscultation and listening to the murmur. Again, there's these um, sort of groups of these normal, benign or innocent murmurs that have their typical sound qualities. But listening to murmurs, you know, like anything else, takes practice. And it takes experience. And so I've listened to, I don't know, thousands of murmurs, normal murmurs and abnormal murmurs, and I can differentiate them fairly easily. As a pediatrician, you know, you listen to many patients who don't have murmurs and many patients who do. And um, so I would say, you know, knowing the, the qualities of normal murmurs and abnormal murmurs is important and sort of t- uh, honing your, your auscultation toward that. But if there's any concern at all, if you feel like, well, this might be a stills murmur, but it sounds more harsh or the baby's not breathing very well or not eating very well, obviously any, any sort of red flags in the history or in the physical exam, you know, I think it's sort of a low threshold to, to send them to a cardiologist for further evaluation. And then, you know, I don't think the, all those patients necessarily need further testing. I think, you know, again, the, the next step, send them to a cardiologist, we can listen with our sort of more trained ears and, and then decide from there whether we want to do more testing like an EKG or a, or a cardiac ultrasound or echo. Well, we really appreciate you coming on and talking about pediatric murmurs because this is one of the things, just like you talked about, that many kids, maybe 50% of kids, will have an innocent murmur at some point in their life. So this is something that many parents run into And we hope that we could provide some reassurance today that the majority of heart murmurs in children are innocent, but that with a good history, a really good physical exam, and extra help if needed from the cardiologist, we should be able to, you know, detect the majority of these and reassure in some cases or send if more help is needed. So we'd like to thank Dr. Diane for joining us um, for this episode. But Dr. Lena and I take full responsibility for any errors or misinformation But let's summarize um, some of the main topics from this discussion. Definitely. So heart murmurs are extremely common, with up to 50% of kids having an innocent murmur at some point throughout their life. And the murmurs are caused by the sound of blood flowing through a person's heart. And it's not the same as having congenital heart disease. So you can have congenital heart disease with not having a murmur, and you can have a murmur without having congenital heart disease. Your pediatrician will listen um, to your chest and get various clues about your child's murmur, including what position it's the loudest in, which phase of the cardiac cycle it's occurring, how it changes in various positions, so have you lay down and sit back up. Depending on the characteristics of the murmur, your pediatrician may feel confident that it's an innocent murmur and no further workup is needed, but if there's any concerns, they might refer you to a pediatric cardiologist for additional workup. Absolutely. And Dr. Dion and all of his colleagues over here at UC Davis Children's Hospital are happy to see all of us, um, all of our patients, if needed. (laughs) Right. And that reminds me of a joke. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. So did you hear the one where an infectious disease specialist and a cardiologist are kidnapped? 
<laughs> Perfect. No. So the kidnappers threatened to shoot one of them, but they promised to spare whoever has made the greater contribution to humanity. So the car- <laughs> so the cardiologist says, well, I've identified drugs that have saved the lives of millions of people and counseled parents who are worried about their children. And so the kidnappers were very impressed, and they turned to the infectious disease specialist, and they say, what have you done? So the infectious disease specialist says, well, the thing is that infections are really complicated, and first you have to consider the pathogen, and then how they interact with the immune system. And then the cardiologist says, just shoot me now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That's a good one. Yeah, I remember during um, my pediatric training, during residency, I remember seeing one particular child who was not growing. They were an infant. They were not feeding well. They weren't thriving. Their liver was a little bit big. And when I listened to them, that there was a heart murmur and there was just like no way that that was like some kind of innocent murmur. And and it made me nervous. I was in a clinic in a um, not at the hospital, but in a different part of the city. And I like referred them um, to the hospital because I was worried about uh, about them. I remember that child had a, a congenital heart disease called Tetralogy of Fallot. Um, and they were they were sick, but you know it's it's sometimes these um, are not obvious at birth. Sometimes it takes a few months of life for for them to be symptomatic and detectable, um, and they can be really serious and need need um, uh, specific treatment. Yeah, and this is again, you know, why well child care is so important after you go home. We want to be able to monitor these murmurs over time. A lot of people say that two-week visit after you go home, you have an initial weight check, and then that two-week visit when all of the structures of the heart that were in the newborn period should have closed and and you can get a better sense of if there is a true pathologic murmur. Dr. Diane, you can um, correct me if I'm wrong, um, that that's like a, a time when you might start picking up on some of those. So that's why this well-child care is, is so important. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, and um, yeah, staying in tune with, um, you know, yeah, if a baby is not growing well or not feeding well, you know, that story you just told is very typical for a, a baby you definitely would be concerned about for congenital heart disease. So, yeah, being, um, you know, the, the good detective and trying to figure those things out and, and when to refer and, you know, even when to send to the hospital if, if the baby needs it. Awesome. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital.